So today, we are in, well, we're in our series called Words from the Mountain. And for the last seven weeks, we've been looking at what are called the Beatitudes. Now, here's the thing about the Beatitudes. They're very important. Actually, Christian scholars have called the Beatitudes to be the most profound words that have ever been spoken. And the Beatitude that we arrive today, it's getting at our heart's one desire. There's a restlessness to us. So today we're arriving at the, what our heart's main end is, the goal, the telos, the thing where there's something inside of us that feels restless and will continue to feel restless until we find that one thing that our heart has been made for. If I were to give a description of humanity, probably a good thing to call us would be restless animals. Because we're constantly searching for the thing, but never seeming to find it. And so we remain restless, we remain longing, we remain searching. And, the, and that's kind of what it is. The same way as a, a sailor would be sailing the seas and would be holding on with, with his grip to his telescope so he can find the thing, the land that he's been looking for. The same way the human, us, me, you, we're searching. Our life is like this endless, vast ocean, and we're searching for land, meaning we're searching for the thing that our heart was made for, we, so we can finally walk up upon the land and be where we are meant to be. Today, we're going to talk about that. It's like a journey. Like, so the thing about a journey, the, the reason we love movies that like depict this journey is because the journey represents hope. That though we have not yet found what we're looking for, it's out there. And so we can continue to search. So the journey represents hope. So today we're looking at the journey's end, the heart's desire's end, which is, here it is, here's everything, to see God, to see him. So here's our verse, Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, all right, think of the normal Christian experience. So, so picture a man who sets out to find himself. And so he walks out the door and he opens up his heart for anything that the world can offer him. And what he's doing is he's putting all of these things inside of his heart as a way to say, here's my hope, here are my dreams. But the problem is those dreams and those hopes fail to be met. And so perhaps it goes like this. Perhaps he pursues sex and drugs. And so he has heroin coursing through his veins in order to feel an ecstasy or a high. Only the problem is that that's just temporary. And then it's let down. And then he needs more and more and more to get to that high. And it's destroying his body. Or he's using sex and sex doesn't seem to be working. Maybe in the beginning it is, but then he's seeing broken hearts along the way. And he's something inside of him is telling him, this is not the way that I was meant to live. And so he says, I need to do something. So he says, all right, I'm going to find a counselor. So he goes and finds a counselor, and the counselor says, you know what you really need? You need a purpose. You need a career. You need something to live for. And so he says, okay, I'm going to do that. So he goes out and he gets a career and he starts a business and it's a successful business. And he's making all this money and he's successful in what he's doing. And it feels good at first, but then every single night, night after night, he finds himself feeling more and more lonely. And he says, man, something's wrong, something's missing. So he says, you know what I need? I need, I need love. 
And so he searches out to find a spouse and finally finds love. And it's a good love. I mean, he's happy. And they get married and they have kids. And the story is happily ever after, right? I mean, that's how the movies end, except let's just keep the story going. And so he, he gets married, he has kids, and they have, you know, they have two kids, and they have a golden retriever because, of course, it's the perfect life. You need a golden retriever. And they're thinking about a third kid, which means they're thinking about a minivan, which is a good move because minivans are the greatest vehicle ever invented. And so they're preparing for the minivan, but, but something keeps happening. He keeps waking up, and he's becoming more bored. Uh, he finds life not to be so adventuresome anymore. It, he finds himself actually not to be very happy anymore. And his wife isn't happy. She's still struggling with postpartum depression. And she's comparing herself to other moms. And as she's doing that, she's feeling pretty bad about herself. And stuff's just happening in his life. And, and the weight's coming down. And he just kind of wants to escape. So he says, man, what am I going to do? So oh, let me get a hobby. So the hobbies work for a little bit. He's got his hobby, and it's going, and it's working, and then that doesn't work, so he picks another hobby. That's not working. Okay, well, my kids are, like, in high school now, so he says, I just need to, like, just be with them as much as I can before they go to college, and so he's with them as much as they can, and then they move off to college, and his kind of heart sinks, and it's like, all right, well, man, that didn't work, but, but now it's time to retire, so he retires, and he goes to travel the world. Only the places where he goes don't seem to be able to deliver for him, and, and now he needs to come back because his parents are sick, so he needs to take care of them. So he does that, and then years later, he finds himself on his own deathbed thinking, what did I do wrong? I did everything I was supposed to do. I loved well. I was a good dad. I had a job. What went wrong? He never found the thing that his heart was made for. And it's a tragic story, and it's a story that happens over and over and over again. St. Augustine uh, has one I, what I think one of the most telling statements of humanity. He says, our hearts are restless until our hearts find their rest in him, meaning God. So our verse today, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I mean, this verse is working off the assumption that you understand that the end, the goal, the telos of your heart, the, the reason for which it has been created is to finally see God. Your hearts are restless until you see God. Now, here's what it means. The eyes of your heart are searching and the arms of your heart are like grabbing any type of thing that you can find to be like a telescope so that you might gaze upon the horizon to find the thing that's going to finally make your heart be at rest. And what you're looking for is something infinite and something eternal, whether you know it or not, because your heart desires the infinite and the eternal, and that's why God is the only one who is enough, because everything else is temporary, but He alone is eternal. He's infinite. So your heart is like a voyager. Set sail. And that's how your day starts. You go to work, but you're a voyager. You, you stay at home with your kids. Uh, you watch football. You root for your team. If you like the Gators, you're upset today. If you like Georgia, you're upset today. Uh, or you go and you put on the dress at the mall. And you just you want to look pretty in front of the mirror, or you find the best school for your kids, or the best house, or you get that raise at work. Um, and what you're doing is you're scanning the shore, trying to find the thing that's going to put your heart at rest. Nothing we're gonna, nothing's going to give you what you're looking for except God. And until you realize that, 
you will experience letdown after letdown after letdown, and your spouse will wonder why they can't make you happy. And your spouse might even try really hard to make you happy, and, and it's not going to work. You know why? Because they aren't the one that's meant to make you happy the way that you want to be happy. They can't fill the void that's only been meant to fill by God. And is that offensive to your spouse? Your spouse is like, oh man, I, I was trying to make them happy. It's not going to work. And, and, and you know it's true. And, you know, like we want this movie ending, but it seems to the movie kind of keeps going. And, and here's the thing. If... if you expect your spouse to be the one who ultimately makes you happy, then eventually they're going to crumble under the pressure that you are putting upon them because you're going to need them to give you something that only God can give you. Seeing him is the only thing that's going to make your heart finally rest the way that it's meant to rest. And the human experience is searching for God without actually realizing you are searching for him. And so what you do is you keep giving your heart over to things that are lesser than God. And what Jesus is saying here is that there's going to come a day where the Christian finally sees the shore of paradise. It's going to raise the sail up as high as it can go so they can get there, so you can get there as fast as you can. And then finally the boat's going to run up, up, up upon the shore. You're going to jump off of that boat and you're going to swim as fast as you can. And finally you're going to feel the ground under your feet and you're going to run through the water and finally get all the way up upon the beach and you're going to see your God there and you're going to embrace him. And you're going to be able to look into his face and see his infinite glory, beauty, and worth. And it's going to be shining brighter than the sun, but you can see him because somehow, some way in paradise, your eyes have been adjusted in such a way that you could actually see God. That's what you want. I'm not saying that's how it exactly happens either. So if that happens and you're like, wait, I thought David told me I was supposed to be sailing upon the shores of heaven and it didn't happen that way. It's just, it's just some imagery to try to give you a picture of what is indescribable. So here's the question. How can you be sure that that is your end? How can you be sure that that is your telos, your goal that's coming to you? Well, here's the litmus test. Litmus test. You have to be pure in heart. And by the way, to be pure in heart has very little to do with how good you are and has everything to do with what's at your center. It has very little to do with your goodness and everything to do with what's at your center. So, to be pure in heart, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. To be pure in heart means that you have put God at the center of your life and you are living in such a way that it looks like he's at the center of your life. So, to be pure in heart means you live without hypocrisy. It means you aren't claiming that God's at your center, but maybe something else is at the center. So, you're living in such a way like something else is at your center, but you're saying that God is at your center when he's actually not. Now, if you've heard me talk enough, you've heard me say that Christians are hypocrites, and I say it in a way that we should embrace that because the reality is we are because we keep saying, I want to live in such a way that I can't actually live. But here's the thing, the hypocrisy falls away when we realize that. If we're willing to say, yep, I want to live in such a way but I can't seem to live that way, then we're no longer hypocrites because what we're saying is, there's, there's something wrong with me and ultimately what's wrong with me is I have not seen God so I haven't become fully like Him. And here's... here's a. Another way to describe the pure in heart. The pure in heart have rightly ordered their loves. 
meaning God is your first love. And whatever is your first love tells you how to order the rest of your loves and tells you how to order the rest of your life. So whatever you love is at your center. Whatever you love most is at your center and it will tell you how to live your life. So let me give you a picture so this will make sense. It's helpful to think of your heart as a throne. And your heart is searching for a worthy king that can occupy the throne of your heart. And until God is at your throne, you will not be at rest because you will know something is there, but you'll know deep down it doesn't belong, that it's meant for something better. To be pure in heart means to live without hypocrisy because, in your life because you claim that God is your God and that means he's at the throne. But if something else is on the throne of your heart, meaning your most important thing in your life, then that thing, whatever that thing is there, that's your controller. The control center is whatever's on the throne of your heart and that thing is controlling everything. So that's why it seems hypocritical if you claim God to be at your center but you're not living in such a way because there's something else at your center. And if something else at your center, you're going to do something wrong but you're not going to believe it's wrong because something else is controlling you, telling you what is right or wrong. So to be pure in heart not only means to not be without hypocrisy but it means your heart is clean. So here's what that means. So, so King David commits adultery and then has the husband of this woman killed in battle. And he realizes what he's done, and so he goes to God and he says, God, create in me a clean heart. Now, what's he doing? He's saying that there's something else on the throne of his heart, and it's occupying its residence there. So he's saying, God, clean my heart out and put yourself back up on the top because it's very clear that you weren't there when I did this. The image here is of you walk here. I mean, here's what's going on in your life. You're walking out of your house and you're opening up your heart. You're desperate to find the thing that's going to give you rest. And so you just like start loading all this stuff up in your heart. Like, come on in, let me try you out. Come on in, let me try you out. Let me try this thing out. And you're loading your heart up with stuff hoping that it's going to deliver for you. But now look what's happened. Your heart is filled with all this dirty stuff that's not meant to be there. So it's not clean. And those things are fighting for the throne of your heart. So you needed to be cleaned out. And most people, they don't know what's occupying the throne of their heart. And that's a very dangerous situation to be in. Because it means you don't know why you're doing the things that you're doing. Something is occupying your, the throne of your heart and telling you how to live your life. Whatever that number one is. So, and here's the other thing that probably is true. Because you've walked out those doors and you've opened your heart up to everything, there's things in your heart that are fighting for that number one spot, which means they're fighting for your throne and you are confused about how you should live your life because there are so many things screaming to try to get to that spot on the throne and tell you how to live. So I need to explain the heart a little bit more now, too. So when you think of heart, you primarily are thinking of the emotions. But in the Bible, the heart is not less than the emotions, but it's far more. So here's how you think of the heart. The heart is like a seat of your mind, your will, and your emotions. There's three things. So the seat or a throne, let me say it this way. The heart is a throne from where you decide what to think, how to act, and what to feel. 
The heart is a throne that tells you how to think, act, and feel. So whatever is sitting upon that throne will tell you how to think, act, and feel. You know when someone says, oh man, I just can't control my, like I can't control the things that I'm doing. I keep doing the things I don't want to do and I can't figure out what. Of course, of course that person isn't in control of the things they're doing. None of us are. You know what's in control of what we're doing? Whatever we have made the center of our lives, whatever we have made the most important thing in our life, that's the thing that's controlling our actions. So if you don't like the way you're acting, it's probably because there's something on your throne of your heart that's not meant to be there. Or you're thinking, you think, man, I keep thinking thoughts I shouldn't think. Or I keep doing, like, I'm thinking whatever I'm thinking and I know that it's wrong. Or you don't even realize it's wrong. What's going on? Well, you're not actually in control of what you're thinking. Whatever is occupying the throne of your heart is far more in control of you than you realize. And it's telling you things about yourself, about God, about other people. And let me tell you what happens to your brain. Your brain starts thinking something. And then it thinks that thing again. And now there's a pattern that started. And it continues over and over and over again. And what you're doing is you're rewiring your brain. Chemicals are firing in your brain. And it's being rewired to think in such a way that is probably unhealthy. And that is how you get a sickness of the mind. Because there's something wrong on the throne of your heart. Or take your emotions. You think, man, I'm not in control of my emotions. Of course you aren't. Whatever's occupying your throne is far more in control than you realize. Whatever you love most... And so if you think you're emotionally unstable, it's probably because of what's sitting on the throne of your heart. There's a common mistake that parents make. It's very easy to make. You put the kids at the center. Put the kids at the center of your life. And you do that, but think about what you're doing. You're putting them on the throne. What does the thing on the throne do? The thing on the throne tells you how to think how to act and how to feel. Now, you wouldn't let your kid drive your car if your kid is 10 years old, would you? That seems like a crazy move. Well, you're actually letting your kid do a lot more than that. They're controlling your entire life because you've made them your number one instead of God being there. So now they're teaching you how to act and how to feel and how to think. God is made for that job, not your kids. That's too much for them to be able to bear. Do the same thing with your lover or your spouse, your career, Make your career the most important thing in your life. Your career controls your thinking, your acting, and your feeling. Or image. Make image your everything. You're going to find yourself judging people, their worth and their value, and your own worth and value based off of the way you look or the way they look. And, it's, and you're going to judge everybody based off the way they look. It will become the most important thing to you. I mean, just ask yourself, what's the most important? When you look at somebody and you measure their worth or their value, that's going to tell you what is most important to you in your life. And there's a good chance it's not God. Or you take your nightmares. Not your real nightmares, but like figuratively speaking. So if your greatest nightmare is rejection, then approval is probably on your throne. If your greatest nightmare is humiliation, then power is on your throne. If your greatest nightmare is suffering, then you're a comfort junkie. And if your greatest nightmare is uncertainty, then you're a control junkie or a control freak. So what, what's going on? You need a cleansing. Your heart is filled with false gods that are controlling your life. You don't even realize it's happening. And these, these can be anything. This could be a good thing that you make into an ultimate thing. It's very easy to do that. You, 
ever wonder why, like, you read these Bible verses and it says, you know, pray unceasingly, just always pray. And you're like, that sounds impossible, that sounds crazy. Well, it's, it's hard for you to think about God all the time because there's something else occupying the throne of your heart and that thing does not want God to steal its spot. So it will not let you think upon God because if it does, then God's going to remove it. Wonder why Sunday morning you wake up and you're like, oh man, is this really important? And your mind is like telling you, nah, you know what, it's not that important to be here. And you know what it's doing? You know what's going on? You have something occupying the throne of your heart telling you something is more important than God. That's all. So, if all that's true, which it is, I believe, then how do you get your heart cleaned out? You have to let God have your heart, have your throne. Give it to him. You can't do it. He's got to do it. But also, how do you let him in? That's really the bigger question. Because you don't, I mean, it's hard. Here's what you need. You need glimmers. Glimmers of him now. And what's going to happen is when you see a glimmer of God, it's going to soften your heart, and you're going to say, all right, God, have at it. It's yours. But you have to have these glimmers. So then, now the question is, how do we get these glimmers? Well, your heart's on a voyage. It sets sail, searching, restless. You go from thing to thing, putting it on your throne. And you can't seem to find what you're looking for. That's the story. So you have to put God there, but you can't find him. Why can't you find God? Two reasons. It is impossible to find God. The first reason is that your heart is a sick liar. I know, that's offensive. But Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's what's going on. Your heart is lying to you about everything because your heart has something on its throne and that thing does not want God to occupy it. And so it's lying to you telling you something about yourself, about people, and about God that is not true. Because it does not want God to come in, because if God comes in, he clears everything else out. Second reason. So first reason you can't find God, your heart is a sick liar. I know, that's mean of me to say to you. Second reason you can't find God, is because you can't see him. I mean, the Bible says this, you can't see God. So, Sounds like a pretty hopeless situation. Should I end the sermon? No, okay, I won't. Here's the deal. 2 Corinthians 3 and 4. Here's what it says. That we can behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How? How do we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ? By hearing the good news about what he has done for us. This is the gospel message. This is the truth about what he's done for us. Now, here's what happens. You hear this news to be true, and when you hear it to be true, your eyes are opened. And you say, oh my gosh, what have I been doing for so long ignoring you, God? But it took hearing something. Now, once you get this glimmer of him through this good news, he starts coming and he's cleaning house. He's making you pure in heart. So the glimmers are essential now, because you can't see God now, but you can catch glimmers. Now, a lot of times people will ask me, all right, 
I hear what you're saying, and I do understand and believe that I should make God the center of my life, and I should make him my first love, but I can't seem to do it. I can't do it. So what do I do? Well, first thing, give up on yourself. You can't. You're right. Your heart is sick and deceptive. It's telling you false things about God. You've got to see him through the gospel lens where your heart becomes softened. But here's what you're doing also. You're circling him. You're trying to figure out what to make of him, what to make of Jesus. And you're analyzing him and you're reading the Bible and you're saying, yeah, but he did this historically, I guess so maybe, but can I trust the Bible? Or can I trust this? Or is this just chemicals firing in my brain to make me think I want to do this? Is that what's going, is that what's going on? Well, you're circling him trying to figure it all out. And you're never going to know the answer until you fully give yourself to him and trust him. You believe so that you might understand. You can't look at God from a distance and understand him. You have to get up close and personal, and that's the whole reason for Christ. So here's the way to finally trust him. You have to have a different type of telescope. So you're using the wrong type of telescope. The way to see God is to see him through the telescope of the gospel lens. And the gospel lens makes you trust him. So here's what it does. The gospel is this. Jesus goes upon the cross and he cries out to see his father and he sees nothing. He's blinded so that you might be able to see him now through your difficult situations and one day completely as he is. See, here's what's happened. Your heart, your sick heart is bringing you to an end. And what, what the cross is all about is Jesus takes that end for you. He goes, and he goes to the place, the rest, the hell of restlessness that your heart is taking you down, the road it's taking you down. He takes that road all the way to its end, and he dies there. And then he rises from the grave to come back and to, as if to say, hey, I've already gone where your heart's taken you. Don't go. Stop and follow me and give yourself fully over to me, and I will take you to paradise. But he had to go there so that you wouldn't. Penalties there, he takes it. The road you are on, he takes it. And he gives you this whole new road. He's fighting to get in. And if you'll let him in, for the first time or more so than you have, what you're going to find is there are things deep down in your heart that you had no idea were there, and they were far worse than you knew. But he's cleaning it out because he's come for you. Let me play. God, thank you so much for this truth, and we pray that you would give us understanding in it all. Um, and as we're circling you and maybe running from you or analyzing you, God, I pray that you would give us a vision of you on the cross, crucified, dead, buried, risen from the grave, so that we can know that you love us this much and so we can trust you. We thank you for taking our end, and we thank you for the new life you've called us into. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.